Hello everybody, Julian Charles here of themindrenewed.com, coming to you as usual from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And today I am delighted to welcome back to the programme Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, who is the chairman of the Institute for Political Economy. With a career that has spanned academia, journalism, business and public service, he's held numerous senior academic positions in universities. He was an associate editor and columnist for the Wall Street Journal, and he was appointed by President Reagan as Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Economic Policy during Reagan's first term in office, after which he served as a consultant to both the U.S. Department of Defense and the U.S. Department of Commerce. Dr. Roberts, thank you ever so much for joining us again on The Mind Renewed. It's always a great pleasure to speak with you. Yes, it's a pleasure for me as well, Julian. Thank you. Well, as I always say to you, listeners to The Mind Renewed hugely appreciate your analysis of current events, as I do myself, very clearly, as people will realize of the fact that I continually invite you back onto the program. I'm very grateful to you for the way in which you have stood for truth-telling over so many years and continue to do so in these exceptionally exceptionally mad days. Um, so that's where I want to start, actually, with this total madness that we seem to be in at the moment, risking starting World War III by attacking Syria, irrespective of whether Assad ordered this alleged gas attack on Duma or not. And I, I don't believe that he did, and we'll get into that in due course, because I, I believe that makes absolutely no sense. We'll get into that in a moment. But even if he did, this is insane anyway, isn't it, for Trump to threaten military action against Syria when it has a nuclear power like Russia on its side. How on earth did we get into such a state of total insanity? I think there are three reasons. One has to do with Israel and its goals. Israel, of course, is tightly allied with the neoconservatives, who control American foreign policy and who now have total control over Trump's government with the appointment of John Bolton as national security advisor. He is the worst of all the neoconservatives, the most warmonger of them all. The neoconservatives have an ideology of American world hegemony. And their doctrine, published doctrine, calls for the elimination of any country that can serve as a constraint on American unilateralism. And that, of course, is Russia and China. Russia demonstrated its ability to constrain American unilateralism when it blocked Obama's invasion of Syria stepped in and threw out the uh, American mercenaries that were sent there, and then blocked the planned Obama bombing of Iran. Now, this went against the neoconservatives and also against Israel, because Israel is using the American military to eliminate Syria and Iran, because these two countries are suppliers of Hezbollah, the militia in southern Lebanon, that has twice driven out the Israeli army's attempt to occupy southern Lebanon. Israel wants southern Lebanon for its water resources, but also as part of its expansion program. And of course, Lebanon is a very weak state that can't resist. The problem is, Iraq and now Syria and Iran finance and supply with weapons 
the Hezbollah militia. And so in Israel's calculation, if they can produce uh, chaos in Syria and chaos in Iran, there's no one to supply the militia in Lebanon so that the Israeli army can again enter and this time successfully occupy that part of the country. So these are two of the main elements driving this conflict. A third, in my opinion, is the Russians themselves, not from any aggressive action they take, but from their practice of constantly turning the other cheek. Right. They have created the impression in Washington that they are easy to push around because they reply so uh, minutely to extreme provocations. In other words, the strategy of Putin has been a form of appeasement such that the British were accused of toward Hitler. He continues to speak of uh, our American partners. He continues to express his uh, hopes or belief that common sense will prevail. The Russian uh, diplomats, both the one in the UN, the ones in the foreign ministry, uh, cling to the delusion that facts and evidence matter in the West. So they focus on, let's get the facts, let's get the evidence, send in somebody to investigate. Do you think that Putin is intent on doing that because he wants to give the impression to the world that he is reasonable and that he does want to be conciliant and so that the, you know, the media in the West has nothing to go on, they have nothing to accuse him of? You can say that. But the point is, uh, it doesn't make any difference to the media, does it? I mean, by now, he's made this point many times, hasn't he? He has, absolutely. Well, do you think it's now changing? The sounds that are coming now through the, uh, you know, RT and that sort of thing are much more, not belligerent exactly, but much more defensive. You know, if you hit us, then there will be serious consequences. Do you think he's changing his tone now? He hasn't said that. Right. Various generals have said it. Uh, various members of uh, the Russian Duma. But don't you think that's coming from him? I don't know. Not necessarily, because having been in the government myself, I know that anyone with a presidential appointment can use his office to try to position the president. Right. And so they will say things that they try to sort of hem in the president in the direction they want him. Uh, I experienced this dramatically when I was in the Reagan administration watching those members of his government, which were not really on his side, trying to frustrate his policies. So it doesn't necessarily mean that Putin has said, okay, you go say this for me. And uh, I've never seen any Putin back up to the people who issue these statements. And his most recent one again is that uh, we have to hope common sense prevails. But by now, he has to know there's no common sense. If there was any common sense in Washington or London or Paris, there would be no flotilla on its way to Syria. So when you have overwhelming evidence that Putin has, that the West is totally devoid of any sense, has no interest whatsoever in any facts, or any evidence. You know, what do the Russians call for 
investigations when they already know it's a staged attack by the West. The West isn't going to permit any investigation that exposes that. And even if there was an investigation, the West doesn't care about the facts. The West already knows that the scurple poisoning was a setup, that, the, that there was no chemical attack by Assad in Syria. They already know that. And the Russian government knows they know that. So what is the point of calling for an investigation? And it's clear that these are orchestrated events because if they were not orchestrated by the United States and its puppet, uh, England, it would be the United States and England demanding an investigation instead of blocking investigation. And it would be Russia trying to block the investigation instead of demanding it. So there's no excuse for the Russians to think that evidence or facts means anything whatsoever to London or Paris or Washington. You think that they haven't reached that point of publicly... Apparently not, because they're still calling for investigation of the chemical attack. And they also don't seem to understand that the uh, investigative bodies are Western institutions, and they're not going to give a conclusion that Washington won't permit. So you think the OPCW, even if it does in fact go in there, will find according to Washington's desires? Of course. Mm-hmm. It couldn't be any other way. Mm-hmm. But didn't you see what the former head of the organization said? That he was ordered to resign by Bolton, who told him, we know where your children are? No, I didn't. No, I missed that. I got a phone call from John Bolton from Washington the first time he, I had contact with him, he said that I had instructions to, to, to tell me that I should resign from the organization, and I asked him why. He said, your management style is not agreeable to Washington to exchange the vice president, etc. I said, no way, I don't accept that. So he came to the, to the Hague, and he came to my office, and he said, you have to resign, and I give you 24 hours. This is what we want. And I said, no way, I don't have any reason to do that. I don't owe it to you. I was elected by acclamation by all the member states of organization. It's only you, the United States, they are challenging my, my management style. And he said, but then again, I tell you, we have uh, already discussed with your government that you should resign. I said, I don't know of any uh, agreement with my government. And uh, then he said, okay, so there will be retaliations and uh, prepare to, 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 to accept the consequences. You, we know where your kids are. And that moment, uh, two of my kids were in New York. They studied in the United States. One of them is American, for that matter, was born in New York. He's Brazilian-American. And I had another daughter in London. Uh, And I said, I'm not, I prepared. My family is is aware of what's going on, so it's prepared to face the consequences. So go ahead. And he was a, a little bit shocked with that, and he left. He's not a man you can have a dialogue with. This was the elected head of the organization forced out. So how in the world is it is this organization going to give a objective? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, if it's okay with you, I'd like to just backtrack a bit to cover some of these points step by step a little bit more because um, you were talking about there's no common sense. I mean, one of the things that really hits me about this whole thing, you know, is, is just the basic common sense position that Syrian President Assad simply would not have ordered 
even if there was a chemical attack, he wouldn't have ordered it to take place in Dume. To my mind, that makes zero sense. And yet, there are very few voices saying that. And those that are saying it are getting shouted down. I mean, Craig Murray here, the uh, former ambassador to Uzbekistan, he says that, you know, you, you can get called a traitor for saying such things. This seems to be a total lack of common sense. Do you think it makes could make any sense whatsoever for Assad to have done such a thing? Of course not. More, the Russians would not allow it. Hmm. The uh, Syrian forces, with their Russian help, had completely defeated the American mercenaries sent there under the guise of yeah. rebels. I mean, what utter BS. They were totally defeated, and uh, the city uh, was uh, in Syrian hands. So why would they launch chemical weapons on the people they fought to liberate? It's a blatant lie. It's no different from Adolf Hitler. Last night, Polish forces crossed our frontier and attacked Germany. It's the same thing. The British and the Americans lie, and they're acting now in a way that is far more dangerous and irresponsible than anything the Nazi regime did. But I've seen no explanation that makes any sense whatsoever. When I was listening to this person, Nikki Haley, was it last night or the night before, at the United Nations Security Council, I mean, the way she was behaving, it wasn't reason, it was more like a really, really bad preacher trying to whip up emotion. She kept on saying, you know, that uh, Assad is a monster, a monster. And the, the argument, if you can call it that there, seems to be that he is just evil. So he will do this, not because it makes any sense, but he's just evil. I mean, that seems to me to be no argument whatsoever. It's because even if you were evil, you would still have to be insane or stupid to do such a thing. So well, she's evil. Look, what is a chemical attack on a few civilians? Assuming one happened compared, I mean, on the, on the level of evil compared to the level of evil. We are now witnessing from the United States government and the British government and the French government of sending a flotilla to attack a sovereign country in the face of Russian warnings. Three criminally insane governments, Washington, London, Paris, starting a war in the face of direct Russian warnings. There is no evil greater than that. Let's look at some of the possible outcomes. One, okay, the Russians trapped in their deluded belief that facts and evidence matter to the West and that common sense will prevail, accept the attacks. Well, the outcome of this is the most dangerous of all because this outcome will encourage more attacks and more attacks until Russia is backed in a corner and has no alternative to a direct nuclear attack on the United States and Europe. Okay, let me just check with you. When you say accept the attacks, you mean not retaliate? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. They just say, okay, we'll let them show once again how irresponsible mm. and evil they are, and maybe it'll affect NATO and Germany and the EU, and maybe some of the allies will finally realize, and Common sense will prevail, and so let's let them show one more time how irresponsible and evil they are. And so th this particular incident then wouldn't result in a confrontation, but it's the most dangerous of all Russian responses. 
because it again confirms to Washington that the Russians don't mean it and are easy to push around and it will encourage further attacks. The next thing, they will bomb Iran. Then they will launch the attack in Ukraine against the breakaway republics, maybe even against Crimea. Eventually, Russia is back in the corner and there's no prospect of a warning war. Now, what's another possibility? All right, we got 10 days before this flotilla is in position. So Russia uh, takes initiative in this brewing conflict and escorts the U.S. missile ship, the lone ship standing off Syria, the USS Donald Cook. They send their Navy and they escort that ship out of attack range before the flotilla arrives and declares a perimeter line beyond which the Western flotilla become targets for attack. Now, this would force a showdown between Trump's warmonger government and the U.S. Congress because the U.S. Congress has not given him any permission to take the country to war. And the U.S. Congress would be facing a direct conflict with Russia. And so they would have to say, hey, Trump, what the hell are you doing? We declare war, not you. And this could break up the whole thing. It may not, but it's a chance of stopping it. But the Russians would have to take the initiative. Do you think that if there was some kind of retaliation, say U.S. missiles went in and then Russia retaliated by taking out U.S. bases, by taking out some U.K. bases, whatever, do you think that that would be the point of no return? Yes, that that would be um, my fourth scenario, which is... Uh, about as bad as the first, because in this sense, Russia lets the attack happen in order to uh, prove itself in the right. So if it lets the attack happen before it responds, then this outcome is as bad almost as the first, because it lets the war start in contrast to the option I gave you of escorting the ship, the American ship, out of range and declaring a perimeter line. Or another alternative, Russia escorts the Donald Cook away from the scene and simultaneously wipes out the military capabilities of Saudi Arabia and Israel. This would completely remove Washington's ground-based allies from any possible conflict, loading the odds in Russia's favor and making it clear that Russia will preempt an attack, not respond to one. I think that stops the flotilla dead in the water without having to attack American forces. It simply attacks the Saudis and Israelis. There's nothing Saudi Arabia and Israel could do about it. No. That does seem an unlikely option, given the way Putin Look, has, has behaved so far, doesn't it? Because I'm that, that, that likely. No, no, I'm but that would, about that would, what these options no, 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 but are. Sure, yeah. sure. But I'm, I'm just thinking that that would then give an excuse for the West thereafter to say, look at just how evil he is and what a warmonger he is, wouldn't it? I mean, they're already it's, saying that, but it would then give extra impetus to that. No, it's pointless. They've already said that. It doesn't matter if they repeat it. Yeah. 
What it does, it forces the issue back on the Americans. Yeah. Hey, do we really want to go to war? Right. As long as John Bolton is telling them uh, they're just bluff, they won't do anything. We we're so strong. We're blah blah blah. Yeah. That's what everyone hears, and you know what proves it to the Americans uh, that acrimonious event at the UN that you listened to between the Russian UN ambassador and Nikki Haley, the American one, RT itself showed a picture of the two of them hugging and making up. Now, if that doesn't show an unrealistic Russian attitude, the ambassador is hugging Nikki Haley and they're making amends after their war-starting exchange. Well, I didn't see that. That does seem remarkable, considering how agitated he seemed to be when they were actually in the chamber. I saw it. It was on RT. I saw it. Hmm. It was there. And the RT seemed to be happy. Okay, it's all over with now. We've made up. This kind of nonsense is uh, what convinces Washington that the Russians are a paper tiger and they don't have to pay any attention to any of their warnings. So the picture you're painting is that really everything depends upon what Russia decides to do in this. But would there be some possibility of hoping that the UK might help if, in fact, Theresa May decides not to go with this? She's already decided to go with it. And so is France. There's no chance that she's going to put it to Parliament. When we were speaking before uh, we started recording this, that it seems extremely unlikely that she would do that. You know, I think what's even worse than that is that Parliament is going to sit there and let her. Uh, they should stand up and grab her by the throat and say, no, it's not going to happen. Mm. Just put the foot down like they did with that idiot Cameron. Well, that's it. They're not going to, uh, presumably she's being advised not to do this precisely because Cameron didn't win that vote. It shouldn't be up to her to make the decision the Parliament tells her. Well, I understand that's not the case. I understand that she can, in fact, make the decision. This is only a convention she, in recent years, but it's not part of our look, constitution. You're talking, you're talking hmm? Julian, you're talking in some irrelevant legalistic language. But you're talking in idealistic terms. I mean, the, I'm not. I'm talking mm-hmm. in a power sense. Right. Parliament has the power. As we said, she can say, they can say there's no money. Parliament controls the purse. Right. There's no money. Okay, yeah, for listeners, let me just explain. This is a continuation of a few words that we had before the interview. So let me just say that I think I think we, we said that the way this makes sense is that she might decide to go ahead and then it becomes an issue for Parliament to actually find the money. And they say, well, at that point, we do not have the money for this. And then even though she's made that decision, it's irrelevant. Yeah, they can do that. Or they can just simply tell her she has to stand down. So if that happens, do you think that would be sufficient to stop Washington doing what it wants to do? like it did last time? I think so, because, of course, for this Bolton figure, maybe not. Hmm. But until now, it's been important to Washington to have cover for its illegal war crimes. You you know, naked aggression is a war crime in international law, and it's something the United States has been guilty of now for 17 years, repeatedly guilty. And it gets away with it because it has a coalition of the willing or it has a a NATO uh, cover or a UN something or 
And that's how he gets away with it. So if the British were to say um, no again, as they did the first time, it leaves that idiot president of France, I mean, this guy's dumber than the proverbial, out there all alone. Hmm. And he's probably going to get cold feet too. And then this becomes a direct American confrontation with Russia. And then maybe even the idiots in the EU would say, hey, you know what? We're all about to go up in smoke. For what? What do we get out of this? So the whole thing could fall apart. Yeah, it could. But it takes some kind of people getting up off their butt. As, as long as the world is content for the world to end in, to, in 10 days, nothing can happen. As long as the Russians are deluded that at some point common sense will prevail in the West, they won't take the initiative. If they take the initiative, they can break this up or there's a chance they can break it up. What about the scenario in which, okay, the, the UK and, and, and France, for whatever reason, they do pull out and Trump administration wants to continue with this and then there are more false flags. And so then they can say, well, look, we really have to do this because Assad is continuing to gas his own people. I mean, well, Putin was saying last year, there are a whole series of these false flags that are planned for the Damascus area. Right, he's right. I think on the whole, uh, the false flags wear out. There's too many. And the West always blocks investigations, always. You know, you remember the Malaysian airliner? That's never ever been uh, resolved. You know, we, we, the United States has that all bottled up. Every one of these things, they just repeat lies. They repeat lies, they repeat lies. And if you do that, and most people, they only hear snippets of news and they hear the same lie over and over and it becomes true to them. And, you know, the, the Nazis uh, made this clear. They said, that's how propaganda works. You just tell a lie over and over and the idiots believe it. Yeah. You, and, you mentioned Macron um, just uh, about a minute ago. And um, I've just heard on the news, on the BBC news, that he claims to have proof that Assad did this. Well, uh, I didn't see. I didn't see what this proof is supposed to be, and presumably we never will because of national security in inverted commas. Well, uh, but... where, where would the French president get the proof? Where would it come from? Why would he have it? Advisors have told him it's so. That's, I can only think that's that's it. Right. Sure. I mean, how many times do they tell us lies until we stop believing them? You know, Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, didn't he? Oh yes. Oh. Look, you know why they lie? Look at Tony Blair. I saw the day his fortune now is $100 million. Where do you think that $100 million came from? Because he went and lied from Washington to the British cabinet, to the British people. Yeah, absolutely. And got away with it, as indeed Bush got yes, away. Yes, he did. Not just on Serbia, but on Iran. And, not, and where, did, where did a British prime minister get $100 million? He got it from Washington. Oh, they don't just hand it to him in a bag, they arrange this for him, they arrange that, this, that, that, go give a million dollar speech here, here's a book contract, do this, that. They, they arrange it in that way. And that's probably what they're doing for May and Macron. They're probably saying, you'll get your 100 million too, go lie for us. Without any fear of being prosecuted as a war criminal, because of course, Blair got away with it, Bush has got away with it, presumably that's the precedent, they think, well, it doesn't matter, I'll get away with it anyway. You can't prosecute them when they have power. And the United States power protects it and its lackeys from prosecution. 
The only people who get prosecuted are the little guys like Milosevic, who was uh, in Serbia, who turned out to be declared innocent by the court, even though he died in jail. So why, why anyone believes any Western politician, it blows my mind. How can, when have they told you the truth about anything? <laughs> yes. Look, one of the things about this that really strikes me is the speed of it all. I mean, if there was a real sense of trying to find out what happened and a real sense of justice about this, that would necessarily take time. And yet everything is moving in the opposite direction. It's all about speed. It's all about decision and getting it done. I mean, one thing that uh, Craig Murray observed about this very phenomenon is he said, let me quote from him here, because I think this is very interesting. He said, the lesson the neocons learnt from the Iraq war is not that it was disastrous. It was only disastrous for the dead and maimed Iraqis, our own dead and maimed servicemen, and those whose country was returned to medievalism. It was a great success for the neocons. They made loads of money on armaments and oil. The lessons the neocons learned was not to give the public in the West any time to mount and organize opposition. Hence, the destruction of Libya was predicated on a false, we have 48 hours to prevent the massacre of the population of Benghazi narrative. Mm -hmm. Similarly, this latest orchestrated crisis is being followed through into military action at a blistering pace. As he says, the four horsemen, that's the UK, uh, US, France and Saudi Arabia, sweep by scything down reason and justice on the way. So the basic point there is that the powers that be do not want to give anybody time to mount any opposition, no time to think it through. Do you think he's got the main point there? Of course he's correct. But it's even worse than he says, because even if opposition wanted to do something about it, the media would block them. The media would expose them as uh, uh, traitors or conspiracy theorists or, yeah. uh, or on the side of terrorists or, you know. they Putin lovers, yes. They, they already do this. They, it's what they say about Craig Murray. They say that about him. Now, why is he on the side of a brutal dictator? When they intend to do something, evidence, facts, protest, doesn't stop it. And so they intend to do this. And I've told you why. One, the neoconservative ideology of American world hegemony, the Israeli ambitions in the Middle East, and the Russians mistake in thinking that there was any common sense in the West or any decency or any integrity or any interest in evidence or facts. There's not this interest in American hegemony and all the money and control of oil flows and all that's part of it, but that's all subsidiary. That's only possible because of these other driving forces. So the Russians, in a way, have invited it by accepting because they're hopeful that there's common sense and eventually people will step back. I don't think they're going to step back. I want to ask you, I think everybody finds Donald Trump incredibly difficult to read. Um, I think that's a policy, <laughs> to be honest. Now, it's been reported that he's given out two tweets that have been popularized in the media. One initially, of course, about, you know, watch out Russia, the bombs are coming, smart bombs and all that sort of thing. And then this other very famous tweet where he's talking about how about disarmament, the opposite kind of message here. Do you think there's a possibility that he's actually regretting speaking so forcefully and trying to go in the opposite direction now? Or do you think it's just confusion? 
I think the situation with Trump is this. The American left, which historically has been the peace protesters, the ones against the Vietnam War, for example. The the American left uh, is now so taken up with identity politics in which the victimizer is the white male, is so outraged that the working class voted Trump in, hates Trump so much that the American left aligned itself with the military security complex in all of the Russia Gate propaganda that threatened Trump with uh, a special prosecutor or possible indictment and forced him into the hands of the military security complex, which clearly will protect him. Do you think that he has been maneuvered into that position in order to emasculate the left, to produce that effect in the left, and therefore to remove its anti-war powers? No, the the left already deserted its anti-war powers. Its inability to think... See, the left is just very emotive, it's emotional. Its inability to see the consequences of forcing Trump into the hands of the military security complex and Israel for protection, because these two will protect him if he's serving their interests. This is what turned Trump away from his campaign promise to normalize relations with Russia into a warmonger. If he wasn't a warmonger, he damn sure would not have appointed John Bolton, National Security Advisor. He would not be appointing the second worst warmonger in the country, this Pompeo, as Secretary of State. You want a warmonger as Secretary of State? And he would not be appointing this woman who ran the CIA's secret torture camps to be the CIA director. You still believe that he was turned in this? You, you don't believe, as some people do, that he was in on this from the beginning? I'm and he was a real estate to developer be. and a casino operator and an entertainer with women being on any of that. The guy is a complete uh, non-entity in Washington. They do nothing about it. You know, my original prediction was that Trump is so uninformed, never a participant in any of the political, economic, foreign policy debates of the country that he can't walk in there and have any idea about what's going on. And that this was the great danger of his appointment. He would not know who to put in the government who would do what he said he wanted to do. And the one guy he got in there, uh, General Flynn, the military security complex and the Israel lobby got rid of him before the government ever ginned up. Yeah, well. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So he was the one guy who was going to normalize. He was the national security advisor who was going to normalize relations. So they got rid of him before he could even get started. Yeah, well, he was the guy who uh, dropped the fact that uh, ISIS was a creation of the West and its allies, didn't he? Right, that's right. Not that he was listened to, of course, but he did drop that in an interview, which I thought was an incredibly important thing that everybody must know about. Yeah. Yeah, and we, I think we, you and I probably talked about it back we when, when we it happened. Yeah. yeah, indeed. 
So yeah. So your your main point then was about the the historic role of the left in being able to have mass protests. That's gone. That's not going to happen. No. Do you see any protest? Here's the world. It could end in ten days. Hmm. There's no protest anywhere. None in the streets of Europe or European cities. There's not a hmm. protest from a single European government or Canada or Australia. This total silence. And here we are headed into what, unless the Russians give up and surrender, could be the beginning of World War III. And World War III won't yeah. last long because those weapons are so powerful. You know, I don't know if you or the British are aware, but these new uh, ICTMs are so powerful. It only takes one to wipe Britain off the face of the earth forever. One. So what is your government doing and provoking people yeah. with that kind of power? It's just insane. It's insane. This is where we started the interview. I, I called it insane right from the beginning. I still believe yeah. it is. I totally agree with you. I do not understand what they think they're actually going to achieve, other than what you said as one of your scenarios, which is that Putin will just take this lying down. But I find it incredible to think that that is even worth gambling on. Even if you believed in that strategy, surely nobody in their right mind would gamble on such a thing. Incredible. Well, it's worse than that, because as I said, that's the, if he just accepts it, this is the worst of all possible outcomes, because it means there will be more attacks. Yeah. And more. And then there's no chance of localizing it to Syria. The Russians re respond with direct nuclear attack. So you don't think they would take it to lying down all the way through. Then, there, oh, there would come a point. There would come a point at which they would go nuclear. You, you feel sure of that? I'm absolutely certain. Putin has already said that uh, right. we're not interested in a world in which there's no sovereign Russia. Yeah. And they, he's also said uh, we will never again right. fight a war on our own territory. Hmm. So I think that um, the worst possible outcome is that the Russians thinking that, well, let the West show one more time how evil it is, and eventually they'll be shamed by their own illegal actions, and common sense will prevail, and we'll be over this. That is the worst possible decision, because it will lead to an attack that they accept, and then they will be more attacks and more attacks, and they can't keep accepting these attacks. So the attack on Syria is not directed at Syria, it's directed at Russia. Washington knows that Syria didn't use a chemical weapon, and Washington knows that it is daily killing more people in the Middle East in all its various wars than this alleged chemical weapon attack is killed, and yet where's anybody denouncing America? We've blown up weddings, funerals, hospitals, schools. And that's all supposed to be better than using a chemical weapon. Uh, yes, I mean, you mentioned this in one of your if articles. It, if you're killed, you're killed. Yeah, you're yeah absolutely. Mm. Yeah, why is it matter? Bullets, mm. bombs, missiles, chemical weapons. Mm. The idea that, oh, you can bomb women and children, but you mustn't use a chemical weapon. This is absurd, isn't it? This Yes, it is. It is absurd. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, leveraged, isn't it, as a propaganda meme, really, in order to produce these effects. Yeah.
See, Julian, I think we have to be clear about this. Here we have a situation where the American, the British, and the French government know they're lying through their teeth. They know that these are orchestrated events by Washington and by England, and that they're using these events to take the world to war, the outcome of which could be annihilation. You mentioned lies. Of course, as we all know, Boris Johnson was caught out on a lie, very definitely, and yet he's still in office. What do you say should happen to him as being caught out on such a serious lie? Well, when there was still some integrity in the British government, and it's been some time, but when there was, he would have resigned. Nobody would have even had to call for his resignation. He just would have resigned. Today, they don't even call for his resignation. So I think it tells you that there's no integrity whatsoever in the government of the United Kingdom. There's none. Zilch. It's just like Washington. There's no integrity in the government in Washington. None. Not a scrap. Yeah. He's bumbling, lovable character. This, this is the, the way he's uh, presented. So if he makes a gaffe, as it's called, then, oh, it's just, just Boris. You know, we expect that sort of thing from Boris. To some extent, I'm wondering whether that explains why such a person is actually in that kind of office, that he can say outrageous things and get away with it, because he's, a, in inverted commas, celebrity. We seem to be almost in a, a celebrity kind of mentality, even with something as serious as politics. It seems incredible to me. Well, I think it's far worse than that. Oh, yeah. See, we we had in the United States the Director of Homeland Security, James Clapper, lied under oath before Congress was caught. This is perjury, a serious crime. He didn't even get his wrist slapped. He served out his term. Yeah. We had Colin Powell, Secretary of State, go to the UN, tell one lie after the other. Later in life, he admitted it was a great shameful thing he did, and he's ashamed of it. And he didn't realize the Bush administration would use the Secretary of State in such a dishonorable way. But he went and lied, and everybody believed it. There's nothing but lies yeah. in the West. Well, as I was talking to uh, Tony Gosling a couple of weeks ago, uh, this whole Scripple affair seems to be riddled with lies. And I do want to, before we close, I do want to ask you about that as well, because I, a lot of people, myself included, have the distinct impression that this is actually part of the operation that we're seeing unfolding here, that we've been discussing. Um, do you have that sense that the Scripple affair is actually part and parcel of this whole narrative that's been unfolding over several weeks? Yes. Mm. Okay, one thing that See, I'll, I'll just throw something in there because Craig Murray, again, because he's a great source on what's been going on recently, Craig Murray, and he has a little paragraph that I think is quite revealing. He says the, the Russian attack in Salisbury is supposed to, that's the key phrase there, is supposed to negate the not our war argument, particularly as a British policeman was unwell for a while. Now, if, if I'm reading him right, that implies design. Salisbury is supposed to negate the not-our-war argument. It's designed to get rid of any resistance to what we're seeing unfolding at the moment. Do you agree? Yes. And it also links, uh, you know, chemical weapons to Russia twice. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yes. As far as I can tell, the, the scruples are being uh, held against their will uh, uh, by the British. No one knows where they are. The, the British police issued what appears to be false statements by the, the daughter that she didn't want anybody in the family to contact her. Uh, 
It's amazing that people would believe such obvious lies. And it's quite clear it was not a nerve agent, certainly not the one they claim, because uh, they would have been instantly dead. Well, now they're all getting better, yeah. <laughs> well, not only that, they walked around for two, three hours, had dinner and drinks mm-hmm. and all that before they, it ever had any effect. Well, that clearly is not a uh, weapons-grade nerve agent. The whole thing is, uh, is, is nonsense from start to finish. None of it makes any sense. To quote John Pilger, I must quote him again because it's such a great quote, carefully constructed drama. So it's carefully constructed nonsense, isn't it, for us to be influenced by? Yes. You know, it shows that the governments have no respect for the intelligence yes. of the people. That they yes, tell such blatant, transparent lies and not Absolutely. be held accountable. People, I don't know if people believe it or not, but they don't. They don't say, what are you telling us these outrageous lies for? I mean, that should be what everyone is been, should have been asking for 20, 30 years. This is what motivates me. One of the main things that motivates me is this sense of indignation at being lied to. I just, I said this to you before a number of times, you know, you see something on the TV, on the radio, here on the radio, and you're, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. That's so obviously false. It makes no sense whatsoever. And I know that other people are thinking that way, because when you go to... Right. You know, mainstream media reports and you go to the comments section, it's quite revealing, isn't it? You see, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of people with expletives and saying, you're kidding me. This can't possibly be true. I don't believe any of this, et cetera, et cetera. So people do, in fact, not believe. I mean, you know, I said mainstream media there because I'm not trying to say it's an alternative media site where there are comments where you would expect it to be people who are not agreeing with this. I mean, the actual mainstream outlets where you're getting all these comments, which I find quite hopeful. But the thing that worries me is what you said about the left or the protest movements being neutralized these days. How can we as isolated individuals in this sort of neoliberal culture where we're all sort of, you know, made into these nuclear families where unions are powerless these days, collective action is powerless these days. How can we get together in order to collectivize our opinion and make some kind of difference? How is that possible anymore? I don't know. I don't know, and we, I think we've only got 10 days. <laughs> yeah. So we have to hope that Putin does one of those scenarios, which is to escort the U.S. in the way that you described, out of range. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's enough Russian ships there just to sail out and say, come on, we're escorting you out of this dangerous area. And um, I don't think that anything that Donald Cook could do about it. And it would show that the Russians were taking an initiative to avoid a conflict, prevent it by showing they're serious. Mm. But if they just sit there hoping for common sense and accept an attack, then you can't avoid war. You can only avoid it by taking actions ahead of time. And they've got a number of days before the flotillas in range and they can just move the ship off and draw a line in the ocean. Don't cross this line. We will regard it as an oncoming attack and we are not going to wait on the attack. Mm. So don't cross this line. Then the Congress has to get involved and say, well, Donald Trump, who told you to go to war? That can change the whole situation. And I think, too, if the Russians do that, it'll scare the British and the French to death. Those two governments will say, wait just a minute, we better think about this. And I've often wondered uh, the absence of Merkel in this coalition. Mm. 
see another possible outcome yes. is if uh, the you know Merkel is kind of weak and hurt because she did so poorly in the election, and she's such a vassal of the Americans. It could well be that some of the Germans will just sit down and say, uh, "Darling, look, uh, we don't want to. We've already had one experience with the Russian military. We don't want another one." And so you you uh, pull out of NATO right now, right now, pull out of NATO. And then this would cause such consternation and confusion that this whole thing could stop. You think there's enough will in, in Germany to do that? I think there's some people there who got enough sense. Hmm. The trouble is nobody wants to expose themselves to being read out of the in-group. Yes, yes. And so this is why people won't act. Yes. Even the people who know that they should do something – they say, well, you know, if I do this, then my careers absolutely could be over. All the things I've built, the connections, the money. And so people won't act. Mm. This is why I think Parliament can, because they have, you know, a member of Parliament isn't necessarily, it's not necessarily a position that leads to, to riches. Mm. They can act. Now, some of the older German statesmen, they don't have to worry about careers. They could act. They could force Merkel. But something has to be done. We don't want this conflict. The Americans think they can go strike 70 sites in Syria and try to overturn the uh, success the Syrian army has had in regaining the country. And in the meantime... Uh, frustrate the Russians, maybe kill Russian people there. Uh, you got to be insane to do that. And when when Russia sees they're dealing with insanity, they shouldn't wait and let insanity have the initiative. They should try to preempt it and by some of those measures I, I, I suggested. Yeah. But you're not just saying we sit and do nothing and just hope that the Russians behave in that way, because you were suggesting there that maybe in Germany and in the UK, perhaps, and I don't know, in the US as well, there's a possibility that there may be Congress persons, members of parliament, etc., who may be able to make a difference. If that is the case, should we be writing to our MPs, to our Congress persons? Should we be doing that? I mean, is that better than just sitting on your hands? Well, if large numbers of people did it, but still... I think it, 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 that it's out of our hands. It's the Russians who could force that by taking decisive, preemptive actions. Yes. As I would emphasize once again, any reactive actions or accepting actions on the part of the Russians are the worst possible ones because they guarantee there will be a major war. You know, if you say, oh, gosh, be so relieved if the Russians don't do anything, just accept this. This is the worst possible outcome for the reasons I gave, because what it means is there will be further attacks on the Russians, hmm. more. And it reaches the point where they cannot accept them, but there's no longer a regional place to preempt them. They can only go full-scale war. So that is the most dangerous outcome. And so any Russian acceptance of this means nuclear war. Maybe not 
right away, but that's will be the outcome. Also, any Russian acceptance of the initial attack before they respond, this produces war. Whereas the other scenarios I gave you have the chance of them acting decisively before the war can start in ways that could preempt it. So if there's going to be war regardless, you should take the chance that you can preempt it by escorting the Donald Cook away, drawing a line in the ocean, making it clear in advance. Then the Congress has to take notice. The Parliament has to take notice. Okay, one other possible scenario I want to put to you, and that is, I mean, it's been said in the media that something's going to happen this weekend. Do you think there's a possibility that there might be some kind of symbolic attack, some symbolic action by the Trump administration, and then that's it, they leave it alone? I don't know. I I just don't know. If that's all it is, then it means uh, Putin will be reinforced in his belief that there's common sense. It's entirely possible that uh, General Dunford, the chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff, has told the president that this is a crazy man's game, that the American and British ships are sitting ducks and are defenseless if the Russians want to destroy them, and that the, the risk of uh, being handed uh, an amazing instant defeat are high, and that uh, he, can't, he can't support this, that he cannot support this. And, Maybe that explains why there's one tweet that is so different from the other. Maybe in the intervening period, he's... he's it's, it's possible that he, he's... And then they will figure out some mud hut somewhere to attack and claim that they did what they said they were doing. The <laughs> Russians can smile and let them get away with it. But that, of course, would be uh, a good thing. But it pushes it off to the next event, the next time. Well... The next false flag. Well, it might. They would have to construct a situation in which the U.S. clearly had the military advantage. I don't know exactly what that what that could be. There's a sense that they're running out of time with this. Yeah, that partly explains the speed, isn't it? This is the last opportunity to yeah. do something with Syria before they have no reason to be there. That's right. It's a you know, it's a war crime. Mm-hmm. You know, the the West has gotten away with amazing war crimes. It's amazing. And you see, what it shows you, too, is that Western civilization has essentially collapsed because there's no moral consciousness. Mm. There's absolutely no moral consciousness. You know, the Americans covered by the British and the French and the Germans and the rest of them have been murdering hundreds of thousands of women and children for 17 years. Mm. More than that, it goes all the way back to Clinton. Remember Clinton? The sanctions they imposed on Iraq in the Clinton years, back in the 1990s, they killed 500,000 Iraqi children. According to the UN and the media asked the Clinton Secretary of State, Adlin Albright, was it worth it? Absolutely, it was worth it. And she yes. says, yes, it was worth it to kill. Yes. What was worth it to kill? I mean, well, there's this- no concept of truth in the West anymore, is there? The sort of radical postmodernism thing has sort of swept everybody 
Oh, perfect. So many people believe that there is no truth anymore. You construct truth yourself. If you if you talk in terms of truth, then that's just a power game, all that sort of thing. It seems to have gotten into people's minds. Yeah, right. There's no truth, but there's clearly no morality. I mean, how does that differ oh, right. from the Nazis? A moral claim is a truth claim. Yeah. So, yeah, it goes hand in hand. Absolutely. So, you know, yeah, it's worth it. We kill 500,000. But this has now been going on for what? Been going on at least for 20 years. One slaughter of people in seven or eight countries. We, we've got seven or eight countries, the United States and its NATO allies, have destroyed in whole or part in the last two decades. And we're so exceptional, yeah. aren't we? We're so exceptional bringing civilization yeah. and democracy to the world. We're constantly yeah, this is in We're wonderful. Human. And there's nobody cares. There's no protest. Nobody says, gosh, how shameful. No, I think you are wrong there. I think people do care. I just believe that it's so difficult now to express that in a collective way to make much difference. And as you, and as you said, um, there is this discontinuity between people feeling things in, inside their own minds and expressing it publicly. That's much more difficult. And I see evidence of that in these comments that I've seen in the comment section of mainstream media publications. And yet when you go out on the street and you're talking to people, they're much more closed about it. It's so much more difficult to be open about these things. So I think a lot of people do think this is wrong, but our, our mouths are taped up by various social conventions. That's what really worries me. That really worries me. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, Julie. That's a good way of putting it, yeah. And of course, one of the big ones is the threat of being called a conspiracy theorist. Both you and I have have talked about this before, and I've talked about it with other people. This is a construct of the CIA. It's put there deliberately as a thought stopper, and it works incredibly well, continues to work incredibly well. And it's it's neutralized a lot of opposition to this sort of thing. That's right. It's very serious. Yes. We're so free, we can't even express our thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's a wonderful way to uh, end this, actually. We're so free that we can't express our thoughts. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you ever so much, Dr. Roberts, for coming on again. Well, thanks for putting up with me, Julian. I get no, no, very no, frustrated, no. and um, no, no. but I still think we've got 10 days left. 10 days, hey? <laughs> <laughs> when you put it like that, that really is sobering. 10 days. That's what it looks like right now. That's what it looks like. Ten days. Worse than the Cuban Missile Crisis. Would you say it's? Oh, far worse. Yeah. Yeah. Far worse because Kennedy and Khrushchev are working hand in glove to get that calmed down. Yeah, yeah. James Douglas made that clear, didn't he, in his book on on Kennedy? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That was a a revelation to me. Tremendous revelation. Yeah. Yeah, thank you ever so much again. I uh, look forward to speaking to you again, if there's some future in which to have that conversation. <laughs> um, if not, uh, goodbye. It's been nice to know you. Yes, well, maybe hope to see you in the new world, but that depends on what we believe. Okay, okay. I hope to speak to you again. Thank you ever so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity. I very much admire you and what you try to do. Okay, goodbye, Julian. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>